At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey everyone, it's Yasir and I'm calling today with a little favor to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialing a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now, these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Gerard will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey, guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A-license football coach coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Are they doing more damage than good? We'll find out. Gerard, let's start with your thoughts on the question. Yeah, it's definitely a provocative one, isn't it? Um, it'd be great to get your insight and what's pretty cool is that we've got some interesting uh, people listening already w- w- from a range of different backgrounds and and some of you even work as individual development so i think that's going to be good i'll be useful insight um mine would be that it's in i've got to be careful because i i don't know how everyone's journey started off i actually started off as an individual coach you know when i used to work run my own uh, soccer schools back then i used to do and coaching in communities and running development centers I used to do private one-to-one training. And then obviously even, you know, as I continue with academy coaching, that would still continue as well. And then, of course, it has evolved since then where, you know, even in my role as a DOC, I'm predominantly focusing on club development, coach education, mentoring staff, a bit like a head of coaching. But I'll have an emphasis on developing individuals within teams. There'll be certain players that I'm responsible for as well as coaches. Um, that said, I think it can have a benefit. It just depends. Because if you've got some coaches who, uh, for example, aren't aligned with what necessarily is going on within clubs or aren't communicating. So whenever I did one-to-one training through myself privately, I would have kids at Sheffield Wednesday. I'd have kids at Sheffield United. I'd have kids at Leeds United, uh, Bradford City etc. Um, but I'd all, even Hull City and places like that, they would come to me for private one-to-one and obviously I'd charge and I would do it um, and, you know, I would always try and look at what's their individual development plan look like, what does what's the feedback that they're getting, so the parents, I always remember like kids at um, there was one boy, Tony's on the call, he'll probably remember him, at Rotherham who ended up getting released anyway, but 
bounced around the different clubs and, you know, even kids at Bradford City. Um, you know, one lad in particular, I remember his name, Dominic Southgate, who then went to Chef Wednesday. I used to look at their evaluations, you know, same in New York when I'd look at, you know, whether they're at New York City or whatever. I'd see what the coaches are saying about them, see what the review is, and I'd try and align it. I think that's important. The danger that we've got, which probably eludes your question, is are these individual coaches that the parents are taking them to aligning with what necessarily the club are looking for? I think it's how you manage that as well. You know, within a club, it's difficult because you can't be everything. You know, some academies, I've worked at Cat 3s where uh, it's not necessarily in the P at that level to have individual technical coaches per se, but we would do it. You know, we'd have the backing from the board, we'd pay for it. We'd add in individual coaches who would tech coach uh, players out of team practices, do some extra with them, put them back in, or some that would co-coach as like an assistant coach and stuff like that. If it's something that you can do as a provision, as a club or an organisation, fantastic, even better. Because at least then you've got some control on the narrative and what's going on um, versus, you know, parents who will do it anyway, but parents that will take their kids out of your club and they'll outsource for that because they want more of one extra. And it's how you manage that information, you know, whether it's contradictory or even the physical load or whatever it may be. If you look at some of the top coaches, Yaz, you know, you only look at, I mean, even one of the striker coaches who worked with England for a number of years, he would do a lot of one-to-one training, wouldn't he? And he would obviously work with uh, Alan Russell, right? And he would work on individual movements to receive. And he'd, he again, he'd individualise it to their football identity and their profile. So I'm trying to be, I think your question's a really good one. And I'm just trying to be fair to the argument because we do know that there are a lot of cowboys out there and there are some shenanigans that go on. But, you know, it's one of those, isn't it, mate? As you know, it's that it's being fair that there are people that do do good work, whether that be in the clubs or outside the clubs. One message without, just to summarise that big statement is, how do these individual guys align themselves with what's going on in the clubs? And can they communicate with them? Um, because there are a lot that potentially will be doing more damage than good if they're not aligned. And also, depending on what the practice design is, you know, if they're saying do this, do that, what's their level of knowledge or their detail, the information they're giving? And it could be conflicting to what, you know, a Tony or a Lee Garlic or whoever who's listening, you know, at the clubs that they might be wanting. So that's where that can be quite difficult. And, you know, the bigger challenge that will be unpacked, I'm sure, tonight is how do you manage that conversation? Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that, Yaz? I know there's a lot there, but I just thought I'd try and show it from two lenses, right? Because I've done it myself. I've seen people do it well. I've also seen it done bad. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot in there. I think um, context is key, 100%. You talked there about coaches doing individual stuff around movement, player identity, ILPs, individual development plans that are set by the club and around that sort of thing. So I think that's that's really important to highlight as well. But you know, I guess there's different ways in which we can look at this question. I think the first piece is looking at well, what is a one-to-one coach? You know, you've talk, you, you've you've referenced it a little bit there around some clubs have adopted an approach where they've actually got individual coaches working in the clubs, whether they be individual technical coaches or however they wish to phrase them. But I think largely, probably the best place to start is looking at 
the rise of one-to-one individual coaches, especially through the whole COVID period and post-lockdown post and whatnot, and some of the impact that they've had. I mean, I've seen some shocking stuff out there, and I'm sure you have too, and I'm, you know, there's probably loads of people in it that have, have seen similar and, and otherwise also. But I think it's important to recognise that parents, <clears throat> they're always going to want the best for their children, so they're always going to be looking for the extra support. Um, but it's just recognising what that support might look like. And there's a lot of coaches out there, in my opinion, that probably don't have the necessary skill sets and knowledge to actually go away and develop that player as an individual. I mean, I'll give a brief example of one of the things I saw recently where a coach has got a player literally five yards out from the goal, smashing balls into an empty goal and saying, yes, yeah, great finishing, great finishing. But some of them, even even off target, is a great effort. Was they missed from five yards. What are you doing to support them rather than telling them it's great effort? So I think that knowledge piece is a real, a real kind of uh, key factor in this as to whether they've got the knowledge, whether they've got the technical detail to support those players. And again, more importantly, how they bring the context to what they're doing, whether that be as an individual one-to-one piece around their position, around how they might fit in with the team or just individual technical factors that they're able to bridge those contextual fact, you know, considerations into it. So I mean, there's a there's a there's a, there's a few things in there. I don't know where you, where you want to start, really, Gerard, man. Well, I think the biggest one is understanding, you know, what does that one-to-one coach look like, and for the parents, their their thing is that they 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 have this opinion that the more training that they can get for their child, whether it's right or wrong, is going to help them bridge that gap. They're they're forever chasing that. You know, more training, more training, more training. I think we talked about this in pre in a previous one where that comment around quantity versus quality. But it's right, isn't it? That a lot of parents are under this illusion that Do you know what my kids aren't getting enough minutes. You know, and I saw it mainly with a lot of the cat threes because they that that would be their biggest thing. They'd be like, "Look, we're only training X amount of times a week. He's not getting enough." So they would come to me for extra. But it's one of those. It's yeah, the, I think we've got to manage the expectations from the parents and, and and maybe educate them a little bit and provide them information. But equally, you can't, on the flip side of the argument, we can't blame them because, you know, there is some kind of genuine wanting to do well for their kid, you know. Um, and of course, you know, if they don't feel they're getting a service, which is what we're in, we're in the service industry, if they don't think they're getting that service then who are we to stop them, to control them, especially if we're not providing that service? But I don't want to detract away from the question because obviously we could go down off and off topic. The question you've asked is, are they doing more damage than good? I'd be interested to know where, what your thoughts are, you know, whilst we obviously tap into the, to the room really and get different people's opinions because for me, I think there's a lot of people doing some really good work, but there's also a hell of a lot of bad, mainly because of, lack of experience, lack of alignment, don't know what they're doing. They're probably just doing it so they can charge an extra £20 an hour, £60 an hour, £100 an hour, whatever they're charging. Some do it in the US. It's called, you know, on Coach Up, and they'll profess to be experts. But really, it's just extra pin money for them. You can't blame them. But, of course, then it's if you look into the actual detail of the the practice designs that they're doing, you know, other than facilitating an activity and getting the kids maybe some extra touches, a lot of it is, is as you probably alluded to, you know, activities that aren't necessarily relevant or, or, or realistic. And that's got nothing to do with preference. We've all got preferences on designs of practices. 
but it's got to look at like what's the detail going into their ILP, their individual development plan, their football identity, considerations for maybe field geography scenarios, position-specific stuff. Whether it's unopposed, opposed, whatever, that's another debate. But the the actual detail of how you get the best out of that individual and how it transfers into a game. And I think that's where, you know, maybe what your question is leading to is there's probably a lot of bad practice out there, but then how much training has there been in it? You know, other than trialing these things out and trying to learn, you know, is there a course on individual? I know you've got like uh, Soul Exacts and Hurst will do a lot of my personal football coach. He'll obviously do some training, but there's no FA accredited training course. There's never been any training on individual development per se, has there? The only time I've, I can honestly say in my own journey where we started to talk about developing the individual and the collective was on the Advanced Youth Award. Now, unless you've gone through that linear pathway of getting your way for B, getting your way for A, going on the AYA, you're not. And even then, it wasn't covered in depth. You're not going to get that detail. So, you know, you're relying on coaches' own self-discovery and the ones who will do extra and research extra to try and learn more and become better themselves. But there will be a lot of poor practice because you're learning the trade, right? Uh, don't have any thoughts on that, Yaz, before we open it up. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think there's definitely an element of learning your trade in there. Um, I think the biggest challenge is obviously when you get those coaches who've come straight fresh out of a level one. And if you look at the, the the modern day level one where it's all online and all of a sudden they can now call themselves a qualified football coach, which there's no you know, there's no right or wrong there. But I think it's recognising, are you advertising yourself as a qualified football coach? Are you advertising yourself as a, as a specialist? And if so, how have you, how have you gained, you know, what, what's the path you've taken to gain the skills? to quantify yourself as a specialist. And I think that's, that's one of the key bits here. I think, you know, you can't blame coaches. Some, you know, if they, if, if they need to make the extra money, they need to make the extra money. But I think integrity comes into it as well and recognising that actually am I providing a quality service and what am I doing beyond that myself as an individual coach to develop my skill set, my knowledge and my understanding of how to best do this. So I think there's definitely ways to skin the cat if you like. But I think one thing's for certain is that there's a lot of coaches out there who probably don't necessarily have the level of technical detail and technical technical knowledge to kind of develop the players technically in that respect. I mean, similar to yourself, and I've done I've done plenty of individual work. I'm still working with players on an individual case now. And, you know, fortunately I can say I've been through that linear pathway that you referenced there around the, you know, going through the A license, the advanced youth award and whatnot. And the one thing I always say about these things, you know, the the, the courses are there and they're great, fantastic. But the courses aren't the only only source of that information. You can get this info. You can get the information that you might access on these courses elsewhere as well. You just might not have the qualification or the certificate that goes with it. However, true, true. If you build that knowledge set, those skills, um, and you're trying to apply yourself in the in those in those domains, if you like, then there's no reason why you can't build that knowledge. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there who are, in my opinion, stealing a living because parents don't know what questions or what, what good practice or what good training might actually look like. And neither do some of these coaches, in my opinion, as well. And I think, you know, there's quite a... It's probably a controversial statement, but I think it's one of them ones where, as an individual coach, what are your standards? What's, you know, have you got that integrity where you're actually saying to yourself, actually, I'm not really doing much here other than getting this player to run in and out of cones and they don't actually need me to be doing that. So, I mean, the one thing I always ask myself is what can I be doing with the players if I'm working with them on an individual level that they may not be able to do by themselves? 
And it's not necessarily always the practice and the practice design that you referenced. Sometimes it's the information that we give and sometimes it's the considerations or the, or the, you know, the probing and the questioning and the guided exploration piece beyond that, that we might have to tap into. And again, everyone's different. You know, if I look at the way I do one-to-one coaching, if, if you like, it's very much around developing game awareness and game understanding for the players. Obviously, there's going to be some technical work within that, but it's applying the technical practices and technical information in context in context to the game itself and what the challenges that they might face with, with regards to that so yeah i mean there's a a bit of a, a bit of a response for you on that one but it'll be interesting to get your views on that and if there's anyone else that wants to share anything around their own experiences as individual coaches or anything that they've come across in the past as well yeah i've got a quick one for you to put you on the spot if it was a if it was a black and white yes or no are they doing more damage than good for you yes or no I'll be honest with you, I don't think they can give me a black and white yes or no because it's, it, it depends on the nature of how they're devel- del- delivering that one-to-one development aspect. Um, I think if we're going down the route of one-to-one technical coaches in quote quotations, if you like, how everyone seems to have just had an all of a sudden rise in thousands and thousands of these people that are jumping on Instagram and wherever you can find them, then I would say there's probably more damage than good, in my opinion. I think it's interesting and of course... We'll open it up now to because again, there's a lot of experience in the room as well. Um, it'd be great to get people's insights uh, before we go to Tony and a few others. The other thing I would leave with is that I think this that clarity piece, the clarity thing is is different. Are we talking one to one coach of someone who charges an extra whatever and works with one player or a small group of players? Are we talking someone who does... Because uh, in some clubs, it's more position-specific as opposed to individual-specific. In some clubs, that that individual coach um, is someone that would work alongside, as you know, a team of coaches and they'll focus, focus on certain players within the practice. And again, it's individualised. And even then, there's differences between individual and individualised training. For me, you know, individualised is how you personalise those experiences within a collective, individual would be one-on-one and it might be separate um, but sometimes it can be in, co- in co- you know, connection with a practice so you can do small group small area type stuff, you can do one-on-one and then you can do you've got the whole team but then you're coaching individuals within the team so it, there's a lot of things here isn't there, you know, on that one, t- no different to how a lot of these roles are evolving, like a technical director, sporting director, director of football. People have different titles or similar titles, but the roles are all exactly the same. Some are responsible for recruitment, some aren't, some of this, some of that. I think it's probably the same in this. It's probably worth mentioning. And because of that, it will vary depending on people's experiences, right? In terms of whether they're a specialist on, I'm a set-piece specialist. So I'm not saying I am, I'm saying as an example, I'm a set piece specialist, so I do individual train around set pieces. I focus purely on corners or purely on restarts from throw-ins or whatever. Or you'll get some, as you know, Yaz, that are like, I'm a finishing specialist, like we talked about Alan Russell. So it, it, it depends, doesn't it? Sorry, mate, you got your hand up before yeah, no, you go over to no, Lee and Tony. I think you got, I think it's spot on. I think, I think the, one, the one kind of word that really, or the phrase that jumps out for me around one-to-one coaches, individual coaches, however you wish to view them in whatever fashion they come in, is attention to detail. I think regardless of what, you know, what what 
what guys you fall into, whether that's a, a finishing specialist, a set piece specialist, whether you're doing position specific work or whether you're a general individual uh, one-to-one development specialist, however you wish to view yourself, it's the attention to detail. And I think that, that, that that's the bit that I think goes underestimated in terms of how important that piece is. If you're going to be an individual one-to-one coach, whether that's, again, whichever specialism you decide to take up, you, I think you need to have that bank of knowledge and that attention to detail around that specific piece. Um, so, yeah, no, I think I think there's, some, there's a lot in there already and it'll be interesting to get other people's views. I know we've got Lee there. Tony, you know, you had your hand up, hand up as well. Lee, good evening, mate. Should we go to Tony first? Sorry, just because he was up first only. I don't know. I th- he's, he's well. He's come off the speaker. Thing. Oh, has he come oh, off? Oh no yeah, yeah. We'll invite him back on in a second if he wants to. But go for it, Lee. Hey, all right, Lee, hope you're all right. well. All right, mate. Good to, Ger- to Gerard, see you, man. Just, just quickly, Jared. You are definitely not a set piece specialist. I did my license with you, and your deliveries were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but we tackles no. were great, mate. We, 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 we defended one v one was different class. <laughs> Brilliant. No, just a like, really good topic, lads, to be fair. But, <clears throat> do you know, when you, your question there about are they, are they doing more damage than good, I think it's very easy to do more damage than good in the sense of if you put yourself in the position of the player or the learner, if those messages are not consistent with whatever other environments they're learning, playing, training in, it can just be really confusing. And then the second bit I'd say is around through one-to-one coaching, do you think the sale of hurdles and ladders must have gone through the roof? Because you see so much of that, don't you, that you talk about the position-specific stuff around. And I felt felt victim of this before. But if it's not going to benefit or directly or closely linked to the player's like game and sort of what the match day or the, the sort of the playing experience looks and feels like, you're probably not getting as much bang for your buck as you can out of that 40-minute session or whatever. And then maybe that comes back to a lack of education from like parents or, or whatever, whoever's sending the, the players to these sessions. And get that, let's get it right. Everyone's got good intentions, haven't they? The coaches are not purposely trying to make the players worse or do damage, I don't think. If there's any out there, then that's a big problem, isn't it? But I think looking at the game, seeing what it looks like, and then designing your practices around that. Like, I don't think you need to use hurdles or ladders or bands or anything. Like, I think there's a place for them, but if you're only working with your player once a week or once every couple of weeks, on top of the football they're doing, just honing on the on the stuff that looks and feels like the game. I think. Lee, I think there's a lot in there, and I just want to start off by saying I think you're spot on. There's not. I don't think there's going to be any coaches out there that have got bad intentions. However, I would throw in there, I think there's a lot that don't have the best of intentions. And what I mean by that is best of intentions to actually genuinely understand how to develop the player. I think some of them are trying to avoid doing damage as long as it's providing them a paycheck. And they're not actually you know, mm. challenging themselves and stretching themselves. Around, right? How do I get the most out of this? And more bang for the buck, as, if, as you put it. And I think that that's the piece. I think where where it really starts to become a bit difficult. And coming back to what you said, the the opportunity for more damage than good comes from that because they're not actually looking at how do we actually get the most out of this. And you know, it's a general statement, of course, but it's just looking at right. 
if I'm a one-to-one coach, if I'm that individual coach, and I'm, you know, someone else has just put a comment on 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 the space as well, saying, you know, there seems to be more one-to-one coaches than clubs nowadays, and <laughs> it, it, I think it's, I think it's spot on. It's like, well, not everyone's going to be good at it, and, and that, that's that, that's that's a fact. Um, but what you know, as long as you're trying to get become better, right, and you're not just passing by, because I think there's loads of parents that, like you said, you know, you have got the hurdles, you have got the bands, you have got everything else, all the other pieces of equipment you can bring out. But none of it's contextual to the game in that respect, and you know I think you're better off doing stuff. The one thing I always say to one to one coaches is that you're better off doing stuff that they can't do when they're not with you. Yeah, yeah. Because um, if they're doing what they can be, like you know, so for instance, you know, I, I, I run a grassroots club, and in the grassroots club that I've got, I've banned unopposed practice one because I don't necessarily think it's the best thing for them anyway, and two. They can do that away from the environment. It doesn't mean it's not beneficial for them. It just means that if they can do it away from this environment, why can't we just give them some guidance on that, on how, how to best do that away from us and maximise the time they have with us because they're not going to be able to get that information when they're not with us necessarily, if that makes sense. So it's just yeah. some considerations for them to make around, right, what am I doing to develop myself to make to allow my sessions to become more impactful and efficient for the players that I work with. So, yeah, just a little bit. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. No, you know, you you said about, like, talking about, like, ladders and stuff like that. So, obviously, the intention behind using ladders is probably to to develop agility or footwork or something like that, isn't it, usually? Well, literally leave the ladder in the bag and just design a, a drill or a practice where they might have to work their feet to get their body front facing to receive off the shoulder of a defender, that kind of stuff. So it's still working agility. You know, if you're working with a striker, rather than making him run through a ladder to then smash it in the goal, get him to like play with his back to goal and start to turn his hips 180 and work your footwork that way to receive a little pass and score. Like surely that's agility in context to the game. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't see any ladders in the World Cup, would you? on the pitch so it's 100 <laughs> i think you're spot on and i think that's the, this is the key piece i was talking about earlier around the attention to detail well actually yeah we, we understand you want to use the well i would even challenge that i don't even know if all all the time that coaches are using ladders and, and other pieces just to do the agility stuff yeah, they, might, they might pass it by that but i reckon more often than not and I, again general statement they're using it because the parents are like well yeah my kid's using an agility ladder with his coach and we can stick that on instagram do you know what i mean and rather than looking at, right, how do, how do we best utilise the equipment that we have, if we even need to utilise the equipment? Or, like you said, do we give it some contextual, contextual aspects of the, of the session so that they can put them in a frame of mind of, right, what does this look like in a game sense? So if it is, right, back to goal, spin off, you know, shift out and then come back in for the finish or whatever that looks like, actually looking at attention to detail, around what those movements look like, what those movements demand from the players, what the challenges are for the players within those contexts. And I think that's a real key piece for, for me. And I think, yeah, you know, this isn't, this isn't a bashing session for one-to-one coaches. It's just No, I, I think it's, I think the game's going that way as well, mate, for, for more individualised stuff. You look at, like you, I think you alluded to it earlier, like every club now has got individual development roles or it's gone from units to position specific to individual base now. It's going more that way, isn't it? Especially in youth youth football, sort of the development stages. So it's it's massive. It's I think it is the future. So it's a good conversation. That's why 
I'm going to stop talking now. Listen to some other people's opinions because I know what I know. I need to know what other people know. <laughs> Definitely. Go I, for it, I was going to ask a quick question actually, if it's okay. The and I, I agree with you, and I think that even the last bit around the agility, just design an environment where because agility is based on information from the environment, a stimulus. I'm changing direction based on a, a, a problem. So just design better problems. But um, I'm curious, in your role with the academy you're at, how does it look like in that environment, just real quick, in terms of how you're doing, how you're either supporting individuals or or even through individualised work? You know, what does it look yeah. like in, in your environment? Yeah, so, well, it's, it's, it's twofold. I think you both alluded to the, the different ways it happened. Go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, just to build on Gerard's question as well, in, in, in your environment as well, do you, do you ever encourage players to go away and get a one-to-one support and if, if, if so is there specific coaches that you might want to refer them to um, in, in the answer to that one you got I think you've got to be careful just because the lads are in academies so much like four or five days a week if you're taking match days as well and they've got to do schoolwork, and they've got to try and be things other than a footballer I think so it's it's really hard to say especially when they're going through growth and maturation I sort of work 14 to 16s 13s 14s 15s 16s like you need some rest days as much as the kids might not want to so I'd always I'd always be again not against it but I'd, I'd strongly recommend like your rest days and your down days are important too and other things as well are, have to be uh, have to have time in your life um, in terms of like what it looks like it's like you said you both said about different ways so there'll be individual stuff where where player a player or small groups of players will go and work with the coach on bespoke practices and then there'll be the the, the individual coach getting around the the squad sessions with a view of you take take if I'm the 14s coach and I'm trying to spin the plates of the session and cater for a squad of 16 the individual coach can look at that from just a, a one or two person lens and go, well, by the way, have you thought about this? Me and Gerard have been working on this this week. So could you just start the practice by firing the ball into his feet when he's up against pressure? And do you know, so that's kind of how it works at our place is like bespoke individual or small group practices. And then having a, a coach whose role is to kind of see it on a really sort of magnified level and get around the squad coach, the, the, the age group coaches, and and just bounce and support and and, and challenge each other that way, um, and then obviously give feedback and and work on sort of huddle and all the all the sort of analysis as well around the back of that. No, great, love it, and I think it's it, it's just interesting, isn't it, just to hear how it's going on at different environments and what works well. And I think the honest truth is probably most clubs probably wouldn't recommend people out to go outside the club maybe one or two might but typically you'd want to try and control the the narrative wouldn't you so i think it's it's just interesting and then obviously the more we can tie in video the question i've always got but i mentioned to obviously go on to tony um is maybe something for later to come back to potentially would be how much is too much because of course this is a we're, we're trying to make things more personalized and rightly so but then how much information becomes too much where the players become overloaded? So to give a counter-argument, you look at... I always remember that interview with David Bentley. Do you remember him? And it obviously was at Tottenham and what have you. And he said for him, 
obviously it's a different era now, isn't it, for us guys, you know, coming in and within the P last 10, 12 years, whatever. These players are coming in for a different environment. You know, the players are, you've probably got <laughs> 16 analysts on a roster or how many you've got on the roster. You've got, these players are very, very clever, you know, and they're, they're, they've got more access to information. They've probably got some more knowledge than some of the coaches in some cases. They're developing some great, great insights. It's a different generation of players coming through to previous sort of regimes, if you like. But it is interesting. I'm sure you've seen it, Lee, as well, where there are some players who get turned off by it. They just want to play football, you know, and getting an iPad stuck in front of their face or looking at the data. I found this with some of the lads at Bradford. I was trying to show them like the the data of this is how far, you, you know, the separation between you and so-and-so is in your position, right, in midfield and the distances he's covering or, hey, here's your huddle video or well, whatever. We did clips the other night. We have access to Scout. We show them from that and things. Players love it, but there'll be always those who are like, <sighs> and how much becomes too much? You know, and they're getting overloaded with a lot of info. And it's maybe just something to consider. I don't know. Sorry, as you got your hand up. Yeah, no, just going into that last piece that you've just talked about. You know, I had a recent experience of one of the players I'm working with, and he said, he said, yes, this is too much information for me. I said, all right, that's fine. We can step it back. But, it, you know, try, the environment I try and create with my players is where they can tell me, right, this is a bit too much for me right now. You know, and it's recognising, right, where is that? Where do you pitch it at? How how much how much in depth do you go in with some of the detail? And I think with this particular individual, it was you know I've been working with him for about nine nine or twelve nine nine or ten months now, and we've been doing a lot of work, layering on each time more detail, more detail, more detail. But I think for me, what I realised in that situation was what what's worked really well for me is I've always given him an insight of what's what what we're going to move on to next. To see where he can check, see where he can push himself, and if we need to strip it back, then we strip it back. But he's got an idea of what that might look like going forward, and it's up to you know it's up to me and him collaboratively to discuss and analyze and assess where we're at along that journey. So, for instance, that that too much piece is actually really key. I think one of the key things that I've kind of always been able to strip back to now is right. What's the one thing that we're going to work on? What's that one thing? Even if it's just not perfecting it, but we're just really nailing down this one piece of detail. Get this piece of detail right, and then once that's built and solid, then we layer the next piece on. But like, we we are always considering what's next beyond it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think you've made a great point there, which is for me, it's how how do we get them? How do they land when they come into our session? Because you know, one to one and what have you. Lee alluded to this earlier. I think that personal touch when they're coming to your practice, I'm, I'm just thinking of something you said there, Yaz, is so important where even if we're, we're not on, a, say, about one-to-one, just us in a session as general, as a, as, a, as a team of coaches working together, how do we make sure that that player, so if it's Lee or whoever coming to that practice, he, he feels it's about him, even though it might be about Tony. There might be more of an emphasis on Tony within this one. But Lee feels it's about him. He's getting something out of tonight. And I think that's the key for, for all coaches, really. Just as good, bloody good practice is when you're having those conversations with them. Now, in certain academies, you've got the chance where you can sit, you know, sit with them in the dinner table. We get that access where we're having lunch with them. So we're not just sat with the staff. We're sat with players and you can almost prime them 
before the session. Even if the be- brilliant basics is as you walk into the bloody cones, isn't it? And you're just having a little walk and a chat during the bre- during the, the the breaks or whatever. But making it personalised is, is key. But yeah, sorry, I don't want to take away from Tony either. Yeah, just just final thing on that before we bring Tony in. There's something else that you mentioned. I forgot to say there was that you mentioned about how much is too much, and it's not just relating to information, but it's actually relating to load as well. So recently, I had a, I had a, a situation. I think about three or four weeks ago. Players so keen on doing extra work. I've you know we've started the session. I've seen he's a little bit lethargic to start with. Five five ten minutes in, I said, Nah, this is too much. We're stopping right now. Just turn around and said to the parents, Look, I can I can I can continue, but my advice is that it's not going to be in his best interest. He needs rest. He needs rest. And I think that's the other piece is you know as a one to one coach, if you're not working in a club specifically, and this is your quote unquote business and your income, if you like, is have you got the integrity to say actually we're not going to get anything out of today's work because the players just simply not in the right frame of mind physically, either to actually deal with the, deal with what we're going to be doing today. Now there's different ways in which you can kind of, you know spin that one off you talk there about you know sharing information whether that's through footage whether that's for using huddle and using the ipad or whatever it is but i think sometimes it's just recognizing as a coach no this person needs a rest and your role sometimes to help the player is just letting them know no you need to rest when there's no work taking place today just rest relax and then i'll see you next week or whenever it might be so just you know final piece i wanted to add on there um tony good evening man how are you sorry to keep you waiting yeah i'm all right guys thank you um so I've missed bits and pieces because Twitter Spaces looks as though it's done the same as my local Tesco and moved the beans around a little bit. So I can't see who else is here, and I can't see uh, I couldn't see the button, but we're we're here now. Um, anyway, if I repeat some bits that have already already gone through, I apologise. Um, going on to gosh, going back to the stuff about um, about hurdles and cones and, and ladders and parachutes. I think Lee's point was absolutely spot on. Um, there's a really good um, American football video, which I'm sure some of you have seen, one of these meme things where it shows this over-exaggerated running style through cones that are spread six inches apart. Well, if you've got size 12 feet as opposed to size three feet, those gaps aren't going to work for everybody. Um, Gerard's point that followed on from that about... Um, about agility needing a stimulus is absolutely bang on, and I think that this is this is the point um, with one-to-one coaching, where um, I sometimes see the negative side of it. Whatever one-to-one stuff you do can be great in terms of developing technique or everything, but what it can't do is it can't develop decision making. It can't develop. Um, it can't develop the sport, the game, in context. And this seems to be something that, that comes up every single week when when we have these discussions, whether it be about one-to-one training, skills training, um, different types of practices. If we can't put stuff in context, and I don't believe I can do that working with just one other player, I can maybe see the benefit in doing small group training, where, for example, if I set the midfield player and I want him to spot an overlapping run so he's hitting, I'm going to use some old-fashioned words now, the long-lofted pass, then he needs that player, he needs that player running, he needs to judge the speed that that player's running at. Does he then want to check back and receive it to feet? Does he want to receive it over the fullback's head into space? 
which is probably what England could have done a little bit more of in the first half hour tonight. That that context of of one to one training, in terms of the work that we do with the ball, is is the absolute key for me. When I was at the club, we had some coaches that worked for us in the academy, but who also did one to one training. Um, that then puts an additional pressure on those coaches, in my opinion, because if that player then doesn't get selected to continue either to a scholarship or on a year or two yearly basis, who are the parents going to come after? Are they going to come after the club? Are they going to come after the one-to-one coach who actually might be doing stuff that is in opposition to what the club wants to do because they don't have the context? So... It's a big, it's a big thing for me. I do see the value in it in, in developing technique, especially with younger players. What we used to do with the IDP time was, if you've got a player who needs to uh, work on his one v one attacking, we would put him with a defender who needs to work on one v one defending. So they're both getting a post practice in context. And if it was a winger against a fullback, for example, we'd put them close to the touchline. So, again, not just the context for the practice, but the context for the area of the pitch that they're going to play in. Here ended the first lesson. Absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. And I think as well, it's just some of the nuggets that you've given there. How do we design opportunities where we're buddying up players based on their individual needs or certain strengths? Like you said, the example, it could be even if there's a defender who needs to get better at defending in wide areas or whatever it may be. And he's usually quite good at this, but needs to work on this. And that marries up perfectly with this forward. And we can we can try those little opportunities. Or if it's a forward who needs to work at dealing with body contact and rolling people or whatever it may be and how that counters with somebody else, I think he's spot on. And I think the context piece is key. How do these coaches create that in their environments it's very difficult because they haven't got the context and the <laughs> point that you've made that I never thought of is, is bang on as well is that who do they go after the parents because I mean this was one that we had one of the academies I was at years ago where um, as uh, similar to this was that we released a player and it just made me think about the rationale so it was a player that I wasn't too sure if we should release or not in the end the decision was made easily going to He's got to go. He's put on a six-week uh, venture. He was let go. This is back in 2013 or whatever. And uh, anyway, one of the main reasons was he was a centre-half, struggled to head it, diff- couldn't really defend very well, certain 1v1 situations, etc. And the mum and dad actually came back to us and said, how much in the practices have you been working on a heading? How much of the practice have you worked on this? And they actually put it back on us to say, like, how much? Because I'm watching your sessions every week. And how often has he had an opportunity in terms of repetition to actually work on those? And it's an interesting con- it's an interesting point. I think you're bang on, Tony. Um, the accountability piece is key. How would you then, in your experience, because you've done this, haven't you, Tony, as an academy manager, as a you know, as an assistant, like almost like a head of coaching back then, and things like that, like centre of excellence manager before the EPP and things. How would you manage it going if you were to go back in moving forward? Where whether it's coaches who are in the club doing part time extra because there's a bit of a conflict of interest there as well if they're coaching their own players one to one because they can't necessarily release them per se if they're doing extra with them because they're opening themselves up to attack aren't they? 
how would you manage that within an, an academy environment? I, I think that what the only thing that we could do, um, and it was it, it might seem slightly controversial, but it probably isn't when you think about it, is the one the, the, the coach that's working one to one was told or were told because there was more than one of them. If you're going to do this, you can't do it wearing our gear. So that was the first thing. You can't associate this with the club because the club aren't endorsing it. Um, and then, like you say, it's it's a case of, so where do we separate it? Your, your last point, actually, Gerard, about accountability is bang on. So, I, and I remember now going all the way back to the early 2000s with some of the... Um, some of the reports that we had to write back then were very, very vague. So if we, and, and this, again, it'll touch on why I think it's, it's good to have a curriculum. If we're releasing a player at the end of the season because we don't think his defending's good enough, but then actually we reflect back and we look at all the sessions we've done, and 75% of the sessions that we've done have focused on midfield play and attacking, they're right to come after me as the head of coaching because the curriculum hasn't given him or her equal opportunity to be good at their craft. I think you're spot on, Tone. I think I, I think there's a there's a few things that kind of come up for me as you as you guys have just shared what you've done, what you have, and that accountability piece is absolutely massive. Someone has to someone has to you know stand up and say, right, okay, well, I'm responsible for making sure this player's been given the provision they need within reason to support them around this area. I think that, you know, the one thing that always kind of comes comes to mind with, with these sorts of things is in clubs in particular is, oh, we signed this player because of X, Y, Z reason, but he hasn't actually developed at X, Y, Z. So because he hasn't developed at X, Y, Z, we're now releasing him. Well, actually... The problem is a lot of clubs, what they do is they bring a player in for X, Y, Z and they try and get better at A, B, C and not really enhance the X, Y, Z piece. And all of a sudden now you're back at square one where you brought the kid in for one reason. You haven't developed him further on that reason that you brought him in for. Try to try to bridge the gaps elsewhere. And now you've let him go because he hasn't performed at the level that you expected him to based on the X, Y, Z you brought him in for. And it's just almost the question that comes out for me around that is if you are doing the individual development piece, how much time are you actually taking out to make sure that you're identified the needs of the players that you're working with, what are they good at? What are they not good at? What you know? How have you how have you justified that? How have you rationalised that? And you know, so as an example, one of the things I do with the players that I work with, I'll actually take time out and go and watch them in their games. You know, where if if I've got access to it and I can get to the game, then great. If not, um, if they're working in academies in particular, right? Can you get me some of the footage of, of your games and let's let's have a, let's have a look at that? Can you give me some of the feedback that the coaches are giving you? Because it's all well and good me having my opinion, but actually, what are the coaches telling you? Now, if those are the things that the coaches are telling you, or we're helping you work on those specific things, then at least we can be rest assured that actually those are the things that you've been told that you need to be identified. You know, you need to be improving on, and you need to demonstrate you need to demonstrate an improvement on rather than me making my own assessments and leading you down a completely different path based on my own observations. So I think as a one-to-one -one coach, it's all, it's all, it's also not just the time that you're spending with the player one-to-one, -one, but actually what you're doing around that time to make sure that you're putting the right stuff in place for them. Go for it, Tony, man. Hang on. Oh, there we go. Yeah, so one of the things, um, I've got to watch my language here, um, is... 
one of the things we did was use a crap sandwich. Okay, so we were looking at when we doing the IDPs. We felt that we were giving the players too much. So we'd use the FA4 corner model. We'd get the player to fill in, um, let's say, two or three um, areas for improvement in each of the four corners. Well, all of a sudden, that adds up to 12 different things. So what we looked at was, right, let's pick out the two things that you really need to get better at and the one thing that you're really good at. So what's your super strength? And then within their IDP time, it isn't just focusing on their weaknesses. It's, okay, you need to do a little bit of that, but you also need to do some of that because we know that that's what you're good at. That's why we signed you. We don't want you to stop doing that. But at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. These are the other things that you need to add. But I also think with regards to that, Tony, as well, it's also contextualizing for players and making, making sure that they understand what it means when this has been highlighted as part of the IDP. Because there's been so many times where, you know, in clubs or, you know, where I've spoken to coaches and I've even spoken to parents or players within clubs where they've been given, or oh, this is what you need to work on. But the coaches never actually, or the club in some cases, never actually provided clarity on what that actually looks like if it was successful or where they actually want them to get to regardless of things. I think that's just another consideration people need to make as well. And I think one of the other considerations also that we need to think about really is, you know, this again, just a general statement. It's not picking out on everyone, but the standard, in my opinion, of coaches within the academy settings has, has, has seemed to have dropped over the few years. Obviously, there's still some fantastic coaches in the environments, but a lot of people are, are walking away from the environments because of different reasons, whether it's because they're part-time and they need more money, whether it's because they're not getting paid enough for the level of uh, you know knowledge and skills that they they possess or whatever that might be and whatever other reasons might might be might fall under that but the quality of the coaching is also not that in depth at, at all levels of academies and even at some of the top academies I don't know what your thoughts are on that whether it's yourself attorney or Gerard yeah I think you're right that it started unfortunately as, as good as the EPP might have been for some people and some clubs in terms of up in the professionalism, what it also did was drive a lot of really good, really experienced coaches out of the game because, um, and, and I found this frustrating as a part-time coach, um, I have my own reasons for leaving the academy, but, you know, if, if, you're gonna, if you've got a full-time job, whether it's well-paid or not, you know, you're doing your 40 hours a week, you're driving up and down the motorways, you're working in a factory, you're working on a building site, you then got to come home and do all the the prep and planning, which, which again, is understandable. Um, but you then got to fill in the EPPP, you've got to do the registry, you've got to do this, that and the other. You're marking players after every training session, and yet those marks don't really count for anything. So what tends to happen, or what I've seen happen, particularly in the last 10 years, 
is, and this is no slight on, on them at all, a lot of younger coaches who've just passed the UEFA B who want that prestige of, of, of going and working for a pro club. And I was like that when I first started, don't get me wrong. Um, but they don't really have much idea of, of what's required. And when they see it and when they have to do it, they don't stay very long. But it's driven a lot of the older coaches out of the game. Tony, I think you're spot on. And again, I went to observe a couple of B licenses over the last few weeks. And obviously, they're at the start of their journeys or midway through their journeys of getting a B license. But the standard was just outrageously poor. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that this is the standard of a B license cohort. And if I compare that to what maybe was taking place about six, seven, maybe 10 years ago, um, very, very different. And it's just almost like some of them are really going to struggle. And I think you're spot on, you know, they want to, they want that prestige of working for a club. They want to work. They just want to have the badge on their chest to say, yeah, I work for so-and-so and a lot of them. And I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned what you did earlier around the club has not endorsed this. So don't do it with our kit on. And that's, that's, that's where a lot of these coaches end up going. They, they go down that path of, right, I, I work for so-and-so club. Yeah. You might work for so-and-so club, but what do you really do there? And I think that's another, that's another conversation, but it's recognizing that just because you work for a club, and you know the parents unfortunately will get blindsided by that sort of stuff. They will get drawn in by that sort of stuff, or because this person works for this club, and yeah, but you don't really know the ins and outs of that person's role and what they actually do at the academy, or whether they even work for the academy at all, or whether it's just they might work in the community department, but they get away of saying I work for such and such club. So I think there's also a lot of consideration around that and what that really looks like as well. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot in there around one-to-one coaches whether they're doing more damage than good. And I think, for me, I think Lee, Lee mentioned it earlier, and I think he was spot on, there's opportunities for there to be a lot more damage than good. But there's also a lot of opportunities for there to be more good than damage. And if that's yes, if the coaches who are taking up these positions as individual development coaches, more specifically away from the club environments and challenging and checking themselves around, A, taking that accountability for their own reputation if you like but having that integrity to be able to say actually am I giving this player the best I can possibly give them or am I just stealing a living not because I want to make them worse but am I doing what I can to make them better and it's not just getting them run through cones it's not just getting them running in and out of hurdles or you know sticking on a parachute or whatever that looks like just because their parents might say yeah my kid using a parachute well if you want your kid to use a parachute that bad Rather than pay so and so 20, 30, 40, 50 quid an hour to do it, go and buy yourself one for 20 quid at Sports Direct and they could do it for the whole week for 20 quid. Gerard, go for it, man. <laughs> Brilliant. No, I just, I, I, I love listening to all the comments because I know it's not necessarily about one to one per se, this, this bit, but it was something Tony said. I just thought it's, it's worth mentioning. Bang on, we're driving too many out of the game. I do think the game has evolved, society's evolved. You know, you've got to get with the times to some degree around computers, technology. It is what it is, whether it's overkill or whatever. But I think the way we manage it, or at least some of the stuff I used to do and still try to do now is recognise that if you've got somebody who's, you know, we had one one of the academies, great on the grass, outstanding. He's not going to be, you know, good on laptop or even have the time to to do it. And that's not where his strength is. But if we lose him, we've lost one hell of a coach. So for me, especially with your full-time staff, it's not about, 
you know, doing everything for them. But I think if you are a full-time coach in a role, it's how you support people, isn't it? And that's kind of linked to individual, but in a different way. Because to me, I'd rather somebody be outstanding on the grass and create these fantastic, you know, magical moments with the players versus someone who can put some great stuff together, data in the PMA, do all the spreadsheets, but can't coach. You know, it's, it, that's, that's the reality, isn't it? Um, but no, I, I'm curious, Yaz, in terms of probably a last one. There's a few people obviously listening who, uh, who perhaps even advertise themselves as like an individual coach. I don't know if anyone wants to speak up. You know, you've got Leon. Leon, I see you've, you've obviously got yourself as an individual development coach um, and some of the stuff you're doing with Liverpool. Uh, obviously, we've got one-to-one coaching business listening. Obviously, Ben. I know you're doing a lot of one-to-one yourself, your individual skills coach. It'd be interesting to get any thoughts from from you guys' perspective if anyone wants to open it up. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's really interesting to kind of find out what you guys look at, Leon and Ben in particular, as your roles as individual coaches. You know, Leon, you know, you've got yourself there as an individual development coach. It'd be interesting to understand a little bit more about what that looks like and how you've gone about developing yourself in that role and even Ben like Gerard said you know you've got yourself there as a technical coach and ball mastery specialist I'm really interested to know what what does a ball mastery specialist actually do um, and what constitutes you know someone as a ball mastery specialist in, in, in some cases but you know as if you guys want to sh- join the conversation and share some insights on that but you know just just while we're waiting for anyone else to get involved Gerard just you know just your thoughts on if you had some advice now for someone looking become a one-to-one coach or think or is currently doing it and not sure whether they're actually being the most impactful and effective what would you advise i would say go where you, you the passion is because i think if you've got a genuine passion for something you know you're going to continuously stay curious to that you're going to want to look for more interest so i've met some coaches who are really like fantastic i'm sure you have the enthusiasm and the detail and the hunger to really analyze like some of the data. There's one I'm working with now who's looking at a lot of the movements to receive, movements to deceive, runs to receive, runs to deceive. You know, the 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 FIFA World Cup this year has been great, if anyone's aware of it, with the FIFA Training Centre, because they're obviously publishing the the match reports, post-match reports after every game, aren't they? And, and some of the individual detail in there is, is fantastic. So he's looking at where a player is looking to receive, because a lot of his practices works on different types of movements that perhaps aren't necessarily the priority movements that people are making now and what the game looks like now. So he's looking at, you know, how they're making offers to receive, whether it's in front of pressure, in between pressure. A lot of that's context-specific, obviously, because, you know, whatever team's dropping and reducing space between lines and you're always going to receive in front of pressure, right? Instead of potentially receiving inside of the shape. But he's looking to create that what does that jewel look like? Like he's looking really into jewels. So there's one example and what that looks like. You know, someone else, it might be set pieces and it might be they've got a genuine fascination for different strategies. You know, you look at uh, obviously even some of the coaches like Eric Ramsey, who's obviously not United. You've got um, Alex Clapham, who's obviously bounced around and he's been with Southampton. He's been at Vasco da Gama. He's now... Uh, with uh, Genoa, I believe, as well. You've got, um, and obviously he was at Notts County before all those, looking at set pieces and individual work. 
you know, even Aaron Danks, who's gone as assistant with Middlesbrough uh, recently, he did a big study, didn't he? You know, looking at the NFL, looking at how they individualize their, their work, what they do around different types of movements. So my advice would be, because there's a big message there, and it aligns with what you mentioned before, Yaz, is that detail. So if you are going to advertise yourself as like a ball mastery or whatever it is, whatever fancy topic it is, it can't just be for commerciality and marketing purposes. It's actually got to be like, what does that actually look like? And are you a specialist? Why are you a specialist? Why are you the person that, you know, how much do you know about the history of your work and your craft? I think having that passion to look for detail, practice it, get different feedback, go and study other people. Because I've met some people who were kicking specialists, for example, in rugby, in the RFU. We had one on the Premier League, EOC, who presented. And he did a study for the Premier League looking at different striking variations. And he analysed all the, the, you know, the reason why a lot of corner kicks and free kicks are basically mis- mistaken. So he used that as a passion. Even though his, his main sport is rugby, he ended up becoming a, uh, a striking specialist with, with England, with football, believe it or not. So I think a lot of it is like how much detail you're going to go into because you can't just say that we're going to be an individual coach or whatever, but you're making it up as you go along. You know, as much as that's what happens, I think that's a fair comment if you'd agree, is that actually if you're going to charge for this or you're going to advertise yourself as what, you need to have something to back it up, you know, and, and you've got to look, know your detail because if I'm coming to you and saying, okay, what's the the detail here with my striking or what's the detail on the movement or what's the detail on this if you don't know why am I coming to you do you know what I mean whereas at least with your Alan Russells and these people they've not only got outstanding practical experience you know in some cases they've been a former player in those positions although it's not mandatory but in other cases it's like they know their stuff and they've worked with some top level players so they've got that reference point to work with in terms of like, I've noticed this with Benteke, I've noticed this with, you know, a, a Lukaku, I've noticed this with a whoever. So they've got reference points that they can relate to. I think that's key for credibility. Credibility is huge. You know, any advice, what's your credibility to substantiate that you are the, the go-to guy for your craft? Uh, sorry if that's long-winded, Yaz. Oh, I think you're spot on. You know, two two kind of really key things that have come up from the whole conversation is that attention to detail and credibility. That word there, I think, is massive. And obviously, the word accountability. Are you taking accountability for that? What's your credibility? What, what are you basing that credibility on? Have you worked with top players? Not to say that just because you work with top players, it makes a difference. Because I know there's certain one, you know, certain coaches out there that I've seen in particular that have got that have worked with one or two players, and you know. That's the other. That's the other dangerous piece, isn't it? You've worked with one or two top players, but actually, where's the context of what the work was? You might have known that player once upon a time, just because they've now gone on and done great things. You, they might have. It might have been in spite of you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's just recognizing what was the actual credibility piece built on. Have you? How do you rationalize that? How do you? How do you, How do you contextualize that? And how do you then? portray that is I think is a really really key thing um so yeah no there's a lot in there Ben really interested to get your thoughts mate good evening how are you I'm good guys how are you all 
Very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, interesting on the um, on the on the specialist side of things. Um, obviously, starting when I started out coaching one to one, it was um, probably like a lot of other people, just as a little bit of pocket money. Um, but then once once I got into it, it, it really sort of I was working in a club. Um, doing sort of pre-academy stuff and, and really sort of fascinated with the ball mastery side of things. Um, and it, it just sort of spiraled from there. I was working with players of all abilities, all age groups to start with. Um, and now I'm lucky enough to work with um, quite a few sort of academy, academy level boys. Um, but it's just the, the specialism side of stuff really was born out of um, working with boys and seeing the work that I was doing, having an impact um, and, and watching the boys grow. And then, you know, like with any coach um, who's, who's gone through the learning process, you get thirsty for knowledge, you get hungry for wanting to know more. And that sort of led to trying to work out, you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to teach a boy who shoots really well with his strong foot to transfer that to his weaker foot, what do I need to do? do? I need to look at hips. I need to look at the way he approaches the ball. I need to look at shoulders, the way he shapes when he strikes the ball. Um, that, that sort of level of detail. Um, I think that's a, that's a bit of an information gap with some coaches um, who set up, um, which is understandable. Um, uh, thinking back to myself when I first started out, I was way off sort of where I consider I am now and I've still got loads to learn. Um, but it's, it's about a process. But this, is, this, this conversation is really interesting. Um, and I think there's potential, like you say, yes, for coaches to do a lot of damage um, in terms of that information gap and not knowing the detail to be able to apply it to a player age appropriately um, to give the right level of detail to, to be able to improve somebody. But also, once you start building a, a knowledge and a, and a, a sort of um, knowledge bank and a, and a sort of an understanding of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to improve, then that sort of knowledge and the, and the hunger for things sort of spirals, in my opinion. Um, interested to hear sort of some other people's thoughts on that. No, Ben, th- first of all, thank you very much for sharing that. You know, I think there's a lot, you know, I've got a few different questions that have come off the top of my head as you're speaking there. And I think the first thing is you, know, you talked there about your journey and not maybe having that detail starting out. And obviously you, as time's gone on, you've developed that understanding, developed that knowledge. The first question I'd have is, at what point do you recognise yeah, the information I'm given is actually useful and impactful? You mentioned there, obviously, um, and this is, this is not an interrogation of you by any, by any means, but it's almost just some consideration of coaches listening to this to think about around at what point do you decide I'm now a specialist? Is it because you've got a passion for it or is it because you've quantified that you've got a certain level of knowledge for it? And if so, how, how have you gone about doing that? Um, so I, I hate sounding big, big headed. Um, but I would, I would say 
the specialists, the specialist side of it would come from me having a massive passion for ball mastery, um, especially with younger players. I started started out working with or specialising in sort of the five to eleven age groups, and that's those were the only boys that I would coach, um, because you could see the benefits of um, the the regular contact time with the ball and, and that side of things. Um, I really liked um, just just learning. I'd, I'd go away and I'd, I'd you know I'd sit on YouTube for hours watching watching different professionals, watching different uh, sessions. You know you can see all sorts on YouTube, but also um, just watching how coaches communicate. And I guess like calling myself a specialist is isn't something that I would have done isn't something I would have sort of ever done. But I, I think sort of now I'm at a stage where having done it for, for 10 years, only part-time, um, I don't by any means work full-time, one-to-one. Um, but uh, yeah, the specialism side comes from um, me having the confidence, being able to help a player to develop their dribbling skills helping a player to um, understand how to move before they receive the ball, that side of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes sense. I mean, I guess the question that I'm trying to, you know, really get people to think about more than anything is at what point do you consider yourself a specialist? Is it a time thing? Is it a level of knowledge? Is it because you've had a certain number of players come come under your provision? And I think the other, the other consideration as well, I think this is a real challenge for coaches to think about, is if you are a one-to-one coach or you are considering yourself um, that individual development coach or whatever whatever guys you want to go under, how are you identifying, clarifying, rationalising that it's because of the work that you've done that has made an impact and not because of the work that be, that's already being done with these players elsewhere? It's just something to consider. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Ben or Gerald, even Tony. I love your last question. I think it's a great question. We even want to have everyone wrestle with is like we can't assume or take credit for players doing well or improving because that's what I think I, I see a lot of people do is they'll go, like, "Oh, I developed that player." Well, there was a lot of other work that was going on in the environments. You might have worked with him for two seconds. Do you know what I mean? But we're stealing credit, you know. So I think that's a huge piece, what you just said there. I, could, I couldn't have said it better myself in terms of is it the work that you're doing that's having an impact or the pre-existing work? And how can you build on, you know, pre-existing work and experiences to elevate and advance that player? That's ultimately what, what we're there for. If we, if we call ourselves a specialist in whatever. <laughs> I think you're spotting, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about, a, I saw a session the other day, actually, a player, you know, a coach said um, to the player, you know, I've got, I'm going to teach you seven skills, and if you can do these seven skills, you're going to be absolutely outstanding in a game, but I looked at the practice, and there was a defender in the way, that was just basically shadow pressing, and for me, I'm looking at and this thing, the basic little things like, for instance, okay, you're teaching the player to do these skills, but every time they do these skills, they're leaving the ball exposed rather than keeping the ball safe side, if you like. And then you've got a defender who's not allowed to win the ball. They're just shadow pressing. So 
where's the context, where's the pressure, where's the development in that? You know, just some considerations I think about. And again, it's all context, right? It's all about how you how you, how you deliver it and how the message lands. But the, you know, the question I'm just getting people to think about more than anything is: is the work that you're doing really the stuff that's making a difference? Is it really the stuff that's making a difference? And that's yeah, that's just a, just something to think about. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Gerard. Bang on, absolutely bang on. And by the way, I bloody hate passive defenders. If you start saying to bloody Virgil Van Dijk, oh, by the way, just let Tony turn here. Don't worry about it. Just whatever. No, because then he's gonna. Not only is that he's not going to be happy. You're not helping Tony, but then also. You know, he they're all forming bad habits. So sorry, that's probably a topic for another day, but yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. Go for it, Tone. I just just one more thing really on that is I think whatever you do as a one to one coach, you're only gonna know whether it's effective if you then go and watch that player playing a game. Is it transferable? So whatever you're teaching them. That's great because, it, you know, it, it's you and them or you, them and a mannequin or you, them and a parachute, whatever it is you want to use. But if they can't transfer what you've just done with them in, you know, in, in that session, then you've just wasted yours and their time because they have to be able to do it in a game under pressure without that perfect surface. Maybe that if you only do it on AstroTurf, um, you know, Again, it goes back to that point that we've made several times now about um, what was it? We call it about repeatability. It it it, it can't be repeated because the service is never going to come the same way twice. The pressure is never going to be the same twice. You know, if I know that you always turn on your inside shoulder, then I'll just mark your inside shoulder. And when you turn, I'll knock you over. So they've got to be able to transfer it into a game. Ally what you're doing with decision making skills. Um, so that it, it does have that context and I just want to make one last little point because it's a pet peeve of mine and it may or may not be related the number of individual players I see and some of my own do this who are now wearing these stats vests and I'm like okay, why? what are you doing with it? what are you using the data for? who are you comparing it to? because you're the only player in a team that's got one and I think that that's also quite damaging because one of the things that was given to me was they talked about, uh, oh, well, I've run I've run 11Ks in a game. So, well, why don't you run 9Ks in a game and stop chasing past your mate who can't be bothered to go and run and close down? Here ends the second lesson. Love it. Absolutely love it. And by the way, completely agree with everything you said, especially the last bit. And I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head when we're linking it to individual training as well. How many of these guys, it'd be a good question for Ben and other people, of, are you actually going and watching them in a game? Because most probably don't at all, do they? So brilliant, brilliant insight. I know a, a few times um, I've been asked by parents to go and watch games. And, you know, I have a full-time job as well around one-to-one stuff. So it's, it's, it can be difficult. Um, but yeah, try and try and get out and watch games as much as I can. At least try and watch a player two or three times in a season minimum, um, because you 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 can't uh, 
you can't help a player and you can't see the benefits of what you're doing without um, without going to the game and seeing them perform in a game situation opposed where it's variable, like Tony says, where they're not getting past the ball in the same way, um, where the ball's spinning and bobbling and bouncing and they've got to do what they need to do. Ben, just a really quick one on there, and I think it's really important to highlight. So when you're going to these games, what, what are you looking at? What are, you know, what lens are you looking through? Are you are you looking to see whether the work that you're doing has come out, or are you looking at it as um, an observation to identify what your curriculum and your syllabus for the player that you're working with is going to be, or are you looking at the observations around what the coaches are identifying and highlighting, maybe through their in in game interaction, if you like. You know, really interested to look at that side of things, and then uh, we'll bring Rudy into this in a second. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, it's 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 um it's good to see the work that you're doing being implemented in a game. Um, but mainly from from my point of view, um, a lot of what I do is is the ball mastery stuff with the younger players. So it's it's more about um, them being a little bit more relaxed on the ball, um, not rushing taking a little bit of time, lifting their eyes up, that sort of thing, being able to see a pass, see when they can dribble, um, uh, that side of things. Um, but also, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, speaking to, speaking to parents. Parents have a, historically have, have rose-tinted spectacles. I mean, I'm a parent myself. Um, I'm sure a lot of the guys listening are, um, guys and girls. Um, we we do have rose tinted spectacles when when it comes to our our young people, um, so parents give a view, um, but it's not always constructive. If you know what I mean, it's 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 a little bit, um, it's a little bit rose tinted. Um, so so being able to go and see a player in a game, forming your own opinions, so to speak, speaking to their coaches, um, even sort of gauging the opinions of of people watching as well. Um, sort of when you go to academy games, there are, there are scouts around, aren't there? There's, 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 there's all sorts of, of people you can talk to, um, engage an opinion on people. Um, but yeah, to, in answer to your question, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I'm, I'm going to see what's working well with what I'm doing, how I can improve what I'm doing. Um, but also where where the young player needs help as well. Awesome, thanks for that, Rudy. Talk to us, man. Good evening. How are you? How's it going, lads? Great conversation, by the way. Um, learning as I'm on here as well, so that's massive. Um, I'm one to one coach as well. Funny uh, leaders. Um, I, I I agree with a lot of things that have been said. To be fair. Um, in terms of especially what Gerard spoke about uh, about 15 odd minutes ago when he was talking about the detail. Uh, I'm lucky enough to work with players of all levels, predominantly grassroots, but I think the luxury that I have is the majority of players that I work with actually play within the academy that I've set up within the local community. So I do get that opportunity to kind of go out on a Sunday on a weekly basis and actually see their development firsthand. Um, and then see how much of the stuff that we do is actually being transferred over on a Sunday because 
the differentiation between unopposed and opposed obviously is massive and um, something that Ben referred to earlier or was Tony, I can't remember, in terms of the the surface that they play on as well. And it makes such a massive difference. Like when you're, when you're, when you're doing your one-to-one stuff and you're doing your ball mastery and your techniques on AstroTurf, and we're kind of having this conversation earlier on today that does the surface make a difference? Is it actually, is it a hindrance or is it a benefit? Like, I'm sure most people agree that playing on carpet, you know, things look much tidier. But when you go out on, on a marshes on, on a Sunday morning, um, you're actually playing on some really, really bad surfaces. Uh, so it was just a debate that we're having and maybe you guys can input it. Is it better to, to coach on the surfaces that they're going to be playing on, which has its pros and cons, or is it better to train them on a, on a flatter surface where the technique is actually going to be better but maybe not as transferable on a on a Sunday and does that mean that the individual work is doing damage but I'm not sure like I don't I don't think it does damage I think there's benefits to it 100% um, from personal perspective Um, and again I've been lucky enough to work with current players playing in the Premier League as well and they find it beneficial as well so just learning and and going through the journey over the last 10 odd years has been beneficial in terms of where I started and where I am now. I think the coaching becomes a lot more simple, if that's the right word to use. Yeah, I think there's, there's a few things in there, really. I think first and foremost, it's one of the things that you just said yourself. It's, if it's not the most transferable, then in my opinion, it's not the most beneficial. I think there's definitely going to be benefits to doing technique work on or whatever work you're doing, regardless of the surface. But Another thing that you highlighted there, if it's not the surface that they're going to be playing on and it's not transferable, is it the most impactful? And if, if you, you know, if you've identified that as a, as a potential consideration or a challenge around the maximal impact of your work, then it might be a consideration of actually doing the work on surfaces that they're going to play against, play on. If they're not going to be playing on AstroTurf, obviously I recognise the, the, you know, understand the challenges that come with finding locations, finding facilities, finding... Um, especially during the winter months, especially during, uh, you know, the rain and whatever comes with it and the lack of light and things like that. The AstroTurf pitches are going to be have to do almost the go-to locations, if you like, but where where possible, if, if they're not mimicking and marrying up with what they're expected to then play on. I think it's on, I, th- I don't think, I don't think you necessarily are developing technique. I think you're developing technique on that surface rather than developing technique as a generic thing. Um, so that's just the first piece on that one. I think around... The impact, you know, you, you mentioned there about going down on a weekly basis and seeing your players in within your setting on, on a weekend. A question I throw at you and similar to the one I threw at Ben earlier is how are you quantifying and how are you justifying that actually the work that you're doing with them away from that in the one-to-one stuff is the stuff that's actually helping them perform and develop within the match day environment, if you like. And it's not directly related for them just getting plenty of exposure of playing the game whether that be in your environment or at school or wherever else they may be doing it? Um, yeah, I think it's a fair question, to be fair. Um, I think for me, more so when I'm going out there, I'm not specifically looking at, you know, okay, we did this this week. I'm looking for X, Y, Z. Then we have a habit in, in terms of the academy itself, in terms of the team that we have individual plans within the team. So targets are always being set. So I think we're looking at more of those targets um, being achieved um, and then in those 
those few players that do come into the one-to-one environment is almost going through those targets as well because those targets could be set for for a course of four weeks, six weeks, whatever period it may be, um, and just kind of reiterating it, going over it continuously. Um, so it is almost like a curriculum that you're setting and then on a week-on-week basis, the coaches, even if I'm not present there personally myself, the coaches, the parents, and most importantly for me, the kids as well, having their feedback, I think is massive because I don't know I don't know if it is relatable with, with, when you work with senior players and when you try to transfer that into working with younger players, but the game is the first and foremost teacher. I, I don't think that individual coaches should necessarily be taking all the accolades I don't think that's fair in any way shape or form because like um, Jared was saying earlier there's so many different factors involved and so many different circumstances involved in that child's development um, and for me I'll always stand by that the game's the, the ultimate teacher, you've got to be playing the game in an opposed environment to, to get better uh, I think what the individual stuff does from, from my opinion and from my experience is that it just it's enhancing the the curriculum that we've put in place for that individual. So each individual is different. And I think it's about understanding that individual in that moment and where they're at. And I think that's why I don't personally really like myself, personally don't like to work with too many players that I'm not able to see. Um, because then that way I'm not actually seeing who they are, what they are, understanding them, not only as a footballer, but as a child, as, as a player, as a person as well. And so that's why I was saying there's so many other positive factors involved in the one-to-one side as well, because you are developing relationships as well as, you know, trying to develop the player as well. If, if I make any sense, I might be babbling. No, I think, I, think, I think I get what you're trying to say. I think that the only, like I said, the consideration I have is recognising that as an individual coach, how are you contextualizing what they're doing? How are you? How are you? Make, like I said, how are you justifying that the work that you're doing is is the stuff that they need? And you're talking about there about getting parents feedback, players feedback. I'd be really interested from you to understand the types of questions that you're using or the processes that you're using to obtain that feedback. Um, it could be simple questions like you know, I was uh, I, I really want to give an example, but I'm trying to go on top of my head and not in that environment right now. So to pose a question is, is kind of a little bit difficult off the top of my head, but it would be questions that I would be asking in the individual environment as well. And then it's almost like, do you remember X, Y, Z or what we did on said day? Do you remember the information that was given to you? Do you remember the detail that was given to you? Now, can you see it? Can you see it being highlighted in the game scenario? So it's having those little moments, you know, potentially at halftime or even while the game is going on, just to kind of pose that question to get them thinking about the session that we previously had and the targets that are set for them. That's how I would, in terms of the player, in terms of the parent is more of a, do you remember if they were there at the session? Well, some parents just leave their kids. So, you know, it, it, that becomes difficult. But if they were there at the session, it's like, do you remember what we were doing on Wednesday? Okay, did you see that phase of play? Do you understand how and why and what? And so it's those kind of questions. It's not like, okay, I'm going to ask you a 
trick question or I'm going to ask you a question and I need a correct answer. It's more to get them thinking as well about the stuff that we've been doing over the course of however weeks it may be. And when they see that like open up in, an, in a game situation, are they actually going back to the session or are they you know now playing off instinct or what is it they're playing off? And then, then coming to the idea that is my work actually beneficial or is it not? I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, somewhat. I think you know. The, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is obviously as as one to one coaches, you know, we've all got different processes. If we do do one to one coaching in that way, shape, or form, but you know, the, the processes around obtaining feedback from the players shouldn't be any different as that to when we're maybe working working with teams, if you like. And I think it's really how we how we collecting that information, how we gauging that feedback, how we understanding that what the players have taken away from it. And it's something that I'm massive on around developing that understanding of what the players know and what the players have understood. And it's not asking questions, in my opinion, such as, do you understand or did you understand? No, it's, what did you understand? Can you explain that back to me? Can you show me what you understood from what I've said or what I did? Or, you know, but you know, that, you're going into semantics here. But no, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, Kieran, talk to us, man. Gonna have to unmute your mic. Kieran, you there? Hello. Yes. Good evening. Just run up things real quick. How are you doing? You alright? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Yourself? I'm okay. Thanks. You come up on the session actually. Imagine that. Half oh, well, before the game, actually. So, yeah. My late son in that session. Awesome, awesome. Talk to us, man. What are your thoughts? So, there's a lot of one-to-one coaches out there. We know that. Um, but a lot of them don't... A lot of their sessions don't relate to the game enough. And I think that's the purpose of the one-to-one session, if that makes sense. So, they're doing things because they look good rather than them being relatable to the game. So, they actually can do more harm than good. So there's your answer. But um, if you know what you're doing, it does more good, in it? There's certain things I never do in terms of my sessions. So things like, you know, when you see coaches throw feeding the ball so they can return it, obviously, with the instep of their foot for a volley. I hate that stuff. If I'm going to do that, I do it from a throw-in, just so they understand, obviously, it's more specific to the game. The ball will come from a throw-in if the ball's going to come from someone's hands, unless it's the goalkeeper, we'll throw a different... Um, Coaches that are on their knees rolling the ball. I hate seeing that. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Because the ball's never going to come to you like that. You pass that ball because that's how the ball's going to come to you. So things that are very specific I see and I don't really like and I don't really do, I think that's very detrimental to uh, his development in terms of matches. Obviously, there's one or two things that are not totally, totally specific to matches but can still develop a player. And you was, I heard you talking about the surface as well. A lot of coaches and a lot of parents hate grass, but parents and coaches, a lot of them don't know that the grass is going to, in the session on grass, is going to be more beneficial than doing it on astro because in the long run, you're going to play on the grass, obviously. So, yeah, the grass might not be the perfect surface in terms of its conditions, but if you could do it under conditions that are not so good, when the conditions get better for me, I feel like you'd be able to do it easier, if that makes any sense. Um, so, yeah, I do a lot of one-to-one coaching. Sorry. I do a lot of one-to-one coaching myself. But I make sure I follow a certain protocol that I've been following for years. So I've been doing this for a long time. And um, 
parents are very happy with the results that I produce. Teams are very happy. Other coaches are very happy. And then um, and that's what I've been doing, basically. So to answer the full question is, are they doing more damage than good? The good coaches are not doing damage. And the coaches that are not so experienced or don't know what they're doing are doing damage. That makes sense. I've got another issue as well. You've got teams who um, they might play the longer ball, the rule run stuff, but they've got one-to-one coaches. The one-to-one coaches does the technical stuff, but that's, that doesn't align with the philosophy. So now you've got a, a player who um, is doing one-to-one coaching technical stuff, but he doesn't get the ball to play central midfield because we go from defence straight to attack, if that makes any sense. And um, that does, as I said, that doesn't align. So how are you developing that player? Are you going to change your philosophy? So the one-to-one sessions you do... That's the line of them. So there's many things in there um, that I don't really agree with in terms of one-to-one coaching. But at the same time, there's some coaches out there that do know what they're doing. And yeah. Hello? Yeah, no, just... just oh. I'm, yeah. I'm like, sorry. No, I think, you know, I think you're spot on. I think there's plenty of things in there. And obviously, clearly, you're frustrated by a lot of things that you see. So I think it's good to kind of share those views and opinions because I think there's a lot of people that maybe wouldn't. Um, but no, I think you're spot on, Kieran. I think there's, I think there's definitely a piece around there, around visual perception, around that delivery and that service into players, and how and how that looks in the game. Is it is it mimicked? Is it, you know, it's something that you know it's a big debate right now within the goalkeeping coaching communities as to whether the typical old fashioned of, you know, volleys, half volleys, and the rest of it is the best is best practice for goalkeepers and how they understand and develop themselves within the game. Obviously, I'm no one saying that they haven't got benefits. I think every most methods in which all of us use or, or have got their benefits but it's just whether or not it's one of the things I, I, I always push for is is it efficient and tight and, and maximizing the time that I've got with my players so I think there's a, there's a lot in there yeah that's, true. yeah that's true that's another thing as well the maximizing the time as well um I think it's got other things it's got to do as well so in terms of I might have a one to I might be given a client for instance it's to work heavily on their fitness so I need to make sure that my one-to-one session is quite intense um, there's a lot of ball rolling time as well. So even if they're um, even if they're not engaged in terms of doing skills and stuff like that or tricks, whatever turns, dribbling, passing, whatever, I might be speaking to them or challenging them in terms of questions. So there's a lot going on. I'm I'm engaging them mentally, if not um, in terms of football. That's another thing you've got to work on as well. Um, the one way it can be um, damaging as well, yeah, you do a one-to-one session and you do it at a high level. You're a high-level coach. But the team that they um, that they go to, they play for, isn't such a high level. So now some of the stuff can not go out the window, but it, it could be lost if that makes any sense. That's one thing that I kind of fear as well. So yeah, sometimes I do recommend um, players go to different teams, and it might seem unfair, but there's a level to this as well. Sometimes I've got you got you've got to keep into consideration. Oh yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. That one we're going to open up a whole kind of worms. Yeah, but, um, no. There's definitely some considerations there for people to think about, um, guys. It's been a really, really interesting conversation tonight. There's been a lot of people getting involved, a lot of people listening. Great to see so many new faces as well, guys. If you're not already following myself and Joe, please make sure you do. We are here most weeks um, with these discussions, different conversations, different topics, different themes that have emerged through conversations that we've had with each other and others as well. Um, but also, if you've got any questions or any themes that you'd like to hear discussed, please let us know. In the meantime, um, just a quick announcement while everyone's here. We have got another webinar coming up. We've had a, a couple webinars over the recent months. Well, the latest one um, 
where a tweet will go out later on this evening to announce that we're going to be doing a webinar on individualised coaching on the 28th of December. Um, so you can make sure you're following us so you can kind of find out more about that. And if you haven't caught this whole conversation live, then don't worry, it'll be out on Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast as well. You can find loads of great content, great uh, great, listen, uh, great listens for some of the guests and some fascinating insights on specialist topics. And that's me, and make sure you're following us, guys. Gerard, over to you, man. Fantastic discussions overall. Thank you to everyone who's, who's contributed. And uh, again, really looking forward to the webinar coming around individualised coaching. So make sure to look out for that. If anyone wants to find out some more information, even if it's around individualised coaching or, or developing the individual, there's a ton of courses on uh, Ulermly's platform that you can access. I think the main thing is listening. You know, I'll definitely be re-listening to this one again. I can't wait for the recording. I think it's, it, there's a lot of little nuggets in here that we can definitely unpack further. So really thank you to everyone for coming over it this weekend. Have a great rest of the weekend and, and see you on the next one. 100%. Take care, guys. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.